If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on? Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and California Politics. As always, Wednesday at 9 a.m., we sit, we chat, we talk about California politics over coffee. Um, good coffee this morning. So this morning, we're going to talk about while everyone's kind of logging on and getting on here. This morning, we're going to revisit this book. If you remember last time we had talked, we had this book. My hair doing this thing again. The same problem last time, huh? Oh well. Um, we talked about this book last time, or a couple months ago, and it's interesting. It's something interesting to definitely look into. And a lot of people, I, I saw some people actually take me up on this offer to kind of read this book, because, <laughs> excuse me, the point of this book is talking about reframing your argument and reframing how you present your political argument. Um, to persuade different voters who may not be on your side to join your side. And that's something here in California that we're definitely lacking a lot of in the sense that there is definitely a big discrepancy that Democrats do have almost 50% of the registered voters. The other 50% is almost split evenly between independents and Republicans. So Republicans are basically outnumbered two to one. And the problem is, is that I think a lot of Republicans, and this is my personal opinion, one reason I've gotten involved in pushing the uh, Cal Republican platform is because I just don't think Republicans talk to Californians the correct way. I just don't think they do it in the correct way. Um, they need to reframe their arguments. They need to be better at presenting their values. And I think there's a lot of stuff that they could be better at. And, and I always kind of complain about how the leadership of the California GOP seems to always just be whining. They never really have any solutions. They never really talk about stuff. They are always just kind of, um, well, you know, this stinks and high taxes stink and stuff like that. Well, yeah, we all know that. That's like complaining like, yeah, garbage stinks, like all this stuff. But what are you going to do to solve that? What makes you the better option? And I think Republicans are just very, very bad at that. And so as sort of like a side announcement, another side note, tomorrow night I'm going to have the first candidate of 2022 Join the podcast live on YouTube over at California Underground YouTube. Um, June Cutter is a good friend of mine down here in San Diego. She's running for the Assembly District 76. She's already, I think she ran for it previously or it was redrawn or it's like, uh, she'll talk more about the specifics of redistricting. And again, I'm not a nerd. Like I don't, I, I, if I tried to follow all the redistricting, I wouldn't be able to do my day job. Um, but we're going to talk a lot about this idea of, winning by addition and and there's somebody else uh speaking another another side note on the 21st if you're here in san diego we'll be having the tamika hamilton event tamika is someone else i've had conversations with her we've talked a lot about this and she talks a lot a little bit about this on her social media that you have to talk to people with values and you have to kind of get them to listen to you from a different perspective and she's done a very good job of that and kind of laid out a blueprint of like, how do you win and what is sort of a Democratic leaning district that uh, it looks like she she has a good chance of flipping this district. And if she does, that's sort of the blueprint of where do California Republicans go to start changing the narrative. Um, so people like June Cutter, Tamika Hamilton, they're both great at uh, recognizing that the voters 
There needs to be a better way to present your platform and your arguments. It can't just be the same old stuff over and over and over again. As much as we all want to sit and remember, you know, the good old Ronald Reagan days or when California was red, that's that's 30 years ago. It's a long time. It's over 30 years ago. It's a long time ago. So when you look back on it, in reality, the, the narrative has changed. The electorate has changed. Values have changed. Um, but a lot of values really have kind of stayed the same. It's just how they're presented. And I think that's something that a lot of Republicans don't really do very well. I think they do a lot of complaining. I think they don't really offer a lot of solutions. Um, they try and just say, well, we're just going to be the photo negative of California Democrats, which doesn't give anybody any sort of hope as to what uh, really is going to be their platform or their solution. They can't just say, well, we're going to be the photo negative and the complete opposite of California Democrats. I propose, and my, this is my own personal opinion, you have to present a whole different platform, one separate of the California Democrats. You almost have to kind of just say, the Democrats are over here. The Democrats are over here doing their thing, whatever it is. They're building up the, the, their statist agenda. They're trying to have government take over your lives. We're going to present this alternate. This is our alternate vision of California. And this is where we say these things could get better if we do X, Y, and Z and give these solutions and explain it in common sense, real values of like why this is important. And I think that gives people a real notion of like, hey, this is the alternative. I like the alternative better than what it was before, which was we're just the photo negative. Um, so I finished reading this book finally after uh, several months of getting through it. It's not really that long of a book. I was just kind of reading a whole bunch of other things at the same time. Um, but I finally figured I was going to get through this and finish this book because I talked about how we're going to really look into it. Now, if you don't remember from the last time, Don't Think of an Elephant is not written by a conservative. It is written by someone. Uh, what's this guy's name? George Lakoff, who is a progressive think tank psychological professor. So his whole thing is that he's a professor. He teaches this sort of framing in psychology in college. And he wrote this book back in 2004. Originally, this is the updated version. So he wrote this 2004. And then this is the updated 2014. So still even so after the Obama years, but before the Trump years, he had talked a lot about this stuff. And, and sort of in 2004, obviously, they thought there was going to be conservative dominance for the next I don't know, 10, 20 years, because there was really nobody in the Democratic field at that point in 2004 who really had any sort of challenge. Then Obama came along, sort of shifted everything. Um, But his whole thing in this book is he talks about how to reframe arguments and how you're framing your arguments and how you're framing your points. And a lot of it comes down to this theory that he has throughout the book, which is there are two modes of thinking when it comes to voters progressives tend to believe in this nurturant parent model, right? This nurturant parent model where they believe that the government is this nurturant parent. They're here to help. They're here to help you do what you want to do. They're here to really kind of nurture you along through life. Um, And his other point is that on the flip side, he believes conservatives are controlled by this strict father mentality. And I could see that. That's a fair assessment that I think there is in the strict father mentality. Um, I mean, he uses these like terms like strict father and stuff like that. It could just be strict parent. I don't think 
you know, why do you have to misgender who it is? Um, but there's strict parent mentality. So there's strict parent and there's nurturing parent. Strict parent is basically someone who there's there's rules, there's regular, you know, you have to follow tradition and you have to follow these things. And, you know, you need someone powerful to tell you what to do. Um, and that's the point of it. This was sort of like the neocon way of thinking was that you need a big government like us, a big, big kind of expanded government to push our conservative values. Um, and that that's really the dichotomy that he kind of goes back and forth with that. If you base your framing and your arguments in this strict father mentality or the strict parent mentality, you're going to activate conservative voters. You'll also activate people who are what they call biconceptual voters. Biconceptual voters are people who are both. And in California, there are a lot of them. Almost 25% of the registered voters in California possess this biconceptual idea of they have some conservative values and they have some progressive values. Um and so the only way to activate them and get them to vote for your platform is to speak to them in these terms that they will understand. Uh, of course, I got into this part of the argument, this book where he talks all about this is what conservatives believe. And I read it and I was like, this guy is so way off. But it's important. It's very important because this is what he's saying conservatives believe. Now, if this is what you, you know they're saying about you you can reframe your argument to be different as to what you're really trying to say. So where does it, why am I talking about this? Why is this really important for here in California specifically? Why is it really important? Because there is such a wide diversity of electorate of voters. And California is really kind of unique in this way that like even Republicans here that are registered Republicans aren't really always you know, the, the strong, strict father, neocon mentality, I think a lot of that has kind of gone, out, gone away. There's some left in the party who are still kind of neocons. Um, I think the neocon has really kind of died out with Trump and populism and stuff like that. Uh, but there are Republicans who have progressive mentalities and there are a lot of independents who have both. They have progressive and they have conservative. And you cut. And I think there's a lot of Democrats in California who are moderate and also have a lot of conservative things. I was looking at some saved posts I had and um, of all people, Kim Kardashian made a post, which made me think about this or she didn't make it. She just had this quote where she said, I believe in the rights that Democrats fight for, but I also want the taxes that Republicans fight for. And you think of like Kim Kardashian is one of the most prominent Californians um, and she's out there and she's, kind of, you know, pushing in different political directions. So is that sort of what we're, where we're at in California, where there's a lot of people who look at the Republican party and say, they don't align with my values. So I'm not going to vote for them. And a lot of people will vote with their values before they vote with their economic well-being. And people, I, I see this in comments all the time. This is incredible to say, people say, well, you know, why do Californians keep voting for higher taxes? Why do Californians keep voting for these regulations? You know, and then they complain and then they move out of state and then they say, oh, it's too expensive and I got to move out of state. It's because Democrats are better at pushing their values that people feel better voting for the Democratic Party here in California because it aligns with their values. So they may say, well, yeah, I'm going to vote for uh, expanded health care because I believe I'm a good person and everybody should have expanded health care. Until and then when you get into the nitty gritty, conservatives will look at it and say, 
Why are you voting for this? It's going to double your income tax. It's going to raise income, uh, you know, payroll tax on employees. Um, it's going to raise taxes here, there, and everywhere. Like they need money to pay for this. Why are you voting for this? It's kind of like the gas tax. People will vote for this stuff because it aligns with their values more than it does their their pocketbook or their wallet. And California Democrats have figured that out completely. And I would say even Democrats nationally have figured that out completely, where they can push a value-based sort of messaging where people will vote against their economic interest. And he says this in this book, he kind of lambasts conservatives and says, why do like poor rural workers and poor middle-class rural people in West Virginia vote for Republicans that don't help them is because they vote for values over they vote for their economic well-being. Um, and yeah, those are great points. Zach is bringing up some really great points, uh, and I'll get to them. I'm going to get to your comments. I want to get through all of this. I think this is really interesting. If you're, if you're a wonk like me, this, you could really, really enjoy this kind of conversation. Um, if you're not, I, I apologize, um, about that, but, um, where was I? Yeah. So they're very good about pushing this value based sort of argument. And I'm going to go through this book and talk about how you can reframe a lot of this stuff to be from a conservative point of view and base it in values more than just logic or economics or stuff like that. Because in reality, and it's not lying, I wouldn't say that. A lot of people are worried that like, oh, framing is spin and you're lying and you're telling people what you really you don't really believe. I mean, the same could be said for Democrats right now. A lot of stuff they push, they push a value behind it. But in reality, when you kind of dig down deeper, you're like, that's not really what you're advocating for. You're trying to sell me on something that doesn't really, at the end of the day, make any sense. Um, I think what you have to do is show why this value does align with your side more than the other side. And that's something that really needs to be worked on the California uh, Republican Party. And again, little subtle plug, if you haven't already RSVP'd for the first Calipublican event, which will be here in San Diego at Naughty Barrel, um, go ahead, email calipublican at protonmail.com RSVP. It's going to be on the 25th, um, Tuesday night at 630. I think I've reposted it. You can also go follow Calipublican. Um, so if you're interested in getting involved in like the actual movement of where this is going and why do I keep talking about this, that's where it's going to all start. This is going to be the first ever Calipublican event. We're going to talk about this stuff. We're going to meet other like-minded people who are looking for solutions and how to kind of move the message and the ball forward in the right direction and kind of change the political narrative. All right. So with that said, um, let's get into this book. I've, I've underlined some parts of it. And we're going to get into it. In this first part, he's talking about this theory of the Piketty insight into accelerating wealth gap, Um, which is interesting, is that he's kind of arguing that the growing wealth gap is bad for Americans. Well, yeah, it is bad for Americans. And California is a prime example where um, it's a prime example of him talking about how there's an accelerating wealth gap. But then here in California, there is an accelerating difference between the wealth gap. And he writes in here. Money buys experiences of personal value. Um, Or he talks about really what the ultra rich have compared to like the middle class. 
money buys experiences of personal value, what a lot of life is about. So he talks about going on vacation, being able to travel, send your kids to good schools, buy a house, stuff like that. Um, yeah, somebody asked, can you show the book? Right there. Don't think of an elephant. Right there. Um, a single wealthy person can only experience so much. The runaway accumulation of wealth for the rich and the runaway loss of wealth for others means for most people a runaway loss of experiences of personal value, the loss of a meaningful life. And I wrote in here as a little note, and whoever's going to get this book next and read it, they're going to get this nice little little note from me because they're going to be like, oh, I want to read about how to make progressive values. And then they're going to see my little notes. Uh, it talks about how taxes cut into wealth. Um, or I wrote down taxes cut into that wealth. Now, let's reframe that here for California. He talks about, well, the uber rich get to do all these things that a lot of people don't really get to experience. And that's a problem with sort of the freedom of what wealth means and having that personal income. And if you're going to advocate, well, this wealth, this prosperity, this be, this ability to go on vacation, to send your kids to school, to buy a house, that's all stuff that if you look at the way the California Democrats are going, they're making it harder and harder and harder to live in this state. Now, the uber wealthy can really excel in a place like California and they don't seem to really have a problem with that, that the uber wealthy keep getting wealthier and wealthier. They try and tax the hell out of them. But at the same time, there should be more relief for the middle class. They should be able to enjoy this freedom. And that's the way you can kind of frame that argument is that personal income and this ability to acquire wealth is a freedom issue. It's the freedom to do things. It's the freedom to... Uh, make those choices for yourself. It's the freedom to live your life and enjoy things the way you want to do it. That's how you have to reframe that argument that right now the income inequality here in California is so out of control, so inflated um, that the middle class is, is really, they're losing their freedom. And that's one way to really say it. And I think a lot of people would resonate with that. A lot of people would probably say, yeah, I, I have such a big mortgage or my rent is really expensive and I'd want to go on vacation and I want to do these things or maybe I want to like take these classes and advance my career. I just don't have the money and I can't afford it. It's an issue of freedom. That's what it comes down to. And you have to present it in a value based way. Like if you want to have the freedom to do what you want to do, you have to increase personal income and personal wealth. Um, so that was something that I found. I, I want to highlight that. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Um, I'm going to, you know, it's all over the place. So I'm going to try and find as much as possible. Uh, it talks about these metaphors, not really that interesting. Um, framing, looking back at a decade. Um, let's see the idea. And then here he talks about marriage and sort of, he talks about same sex marriage, um, where he talks about why are they pushing same-sex marriage? Now, I have no issue with same-sex marriage, and I think whatever, that's, you know, two people love each other, they want to get married, they want to enter in this pack. I'm of the Scalia school of thought of, like, if you if people want to get married like the rest of us, great, go ahead. You know, no, no really know that, really no, no skin off my nose, you know, sort of thing. Um... And he talks in here, like most important concepts, marriage also comes with a variety of prototypical cases. The ideal marriage is happy, lasting, prosperous, and with children, a nice home, and friendships with other married couples. 
Now, he's framing this as if the reason same-sex marriage needed to be accepted is because those are the values of marriage. And I would agree with that. That's really what comes down to having a married life is being able to raise children, to have a nice home, to be in a community with other married couples where there's other families and stuff like that. Um, so I, I, I think he's kind of really framing almost, this is like a, a, a softball. This is like a conservative softball. Like, well, yeah, of course I believe that these are the essentials of, of a family life. And I think this is important. And this message has to be presented, I think, from conservatives, not just as a man and a woman. I think it also has to be that all marriages are sort of, and I know there's probably going to be some hot button people who are like, well, you know, I believe marriage is a man and a woman. But I think if you're going based off of this definition, you can say that this is this is really what California families should be a striving for. Um, there's one meme I saw that, that kind of pops up every once in a while, like uh, lesbians for Trump or something like that. And they said like, I'm gay, but I'm not stupid. And you see a lot of like gay Americans who are flipping around to Camille Bethany's out. She's like, I'm never speaking to you again. Um, there's a lot of gay Americans who are switching to Republican because they're like, well, you know, just because I'm gay doesn't mean I want to pay more in taxes. I still want to have a nice house and be able to afford it and raise. Um, nope, someone else disagreed. That's fine. That's fine. The reason I'm bringing this up is a different reason. Um, if someone says, well, I, you know, I want to do this because uh, or they say, oh, I'm sorry, I got a little confused. Uh, if they say, well, I do this because I want to still have a nice house. I want to raise my kids. I want to send them to a nice school. I want to have a nice family. I want to live in a nice community. Those are pretty universal values, right? And I don't think that really comes across any sort of stereotypical line, but I think a lot of people just want that. And that's normal to kind of speak to families from that conservative perspective and be like, hey, we want to help create those communities and we want to be a part of letting people create those communities. Um, someone said they're just uh, someone who is a gay Republican that's afraid of coming out as a Republican. It's funny. I hear that a lot, that there's a lot of people who are more scared of coming out as Republican than they were coming out as gay. Um, so moving on here, I said, the I underlined this. The nurturant parent model has two equal parents whose job is to nurture their children and teach their children to nurture others. Okay. That's fine. It sounds like do unto others as you would do unto yourself, right? That sounds like almost a very Christian conservative value, like the golden rule of like, um, do unto others as you would do unto you. And I think a lot of people teach their kids that like, you know, be nice. And that's the golden rule. Like, don't be mean to another kid. If you don't want that kid to be, um, you know, if you don't want that kid to be mean back to you. So that to me seems like a very sort of conservative value. And this is coming from a progressive who is advocating for these rules. And he's trying to say, these are progressive ideas. I don't really necessarily believe that. I mean, these are ideals and these are values that a lot of people would join up with. Um, and then he says the strong nurturing parent is protective and caring. That's fine. I know plenty of conservative parents who are protective and caring. If you're a protective and caring parent, raise your hand in the comments. Um, 
because I believe pretty much every conservative parent I've met is protective and caring. They build trust and connection, promotes family happiness and fulfillment, fairness, freedom, openness, cooperation, and community development. Does that not all sound like stuff that like when you meet other conservative parents, does that not all sound like stuff that you do on a daily basis? So why are we why are we losing this disconnect? Why are we losing this disconnect that this nurture and parent model is only for progressives? I think that's that's completely out, outrageous that it's only for progressives and they're trying to say well we're only the nurturant parents. Um and then I wrote down here however I mean keep in mind this book was finished in 2014. The modern left though today has come a long way because I don't they don't really even support the nuclear family anymore. What they've done is they've kind of like the slippery slope and he brings this up in this book and I want to talk about it. The slippery slope was started and now it's people worship at the altar of the state whereby the state has become the nurturant parent in their mind and we gotta kind of nip that in the bud and say like no society can be a nurturing parent model where we as a society help each other and we're free to help each other and do better we don't need the government to be sort of this nurturing parent who takes care of us all the time. And that's one of the reasons I posted that tweet yesterday that the government, any government that believes that they need to control every aspect of your life doesn't think very highly of you. They think you're stupid. They think you're dangerous um, because they obviously don't think you can make the right decisions. They believe they have to control every part of your life because otherwise you're going to make the wrong decisions. That doesn't sound like a nurturing parent. In fact, that sounds like a strict parent mentality. Any sort of uh, place where you're controlled all the time and you have to follow these rules and regulations, that sounds like a strict parent. And again, you can flip this on its head. See, this is where the fun comes in. This is where I, I really like nerd out on this stuff. You could flip the argument on its head. You know, if progressives are activated by this strict or this nurturant parent model, and they're turned off by this strict parent model. You start to frame and make your arguments that the California government, the way it is, is a strict parent where they control every part of your life, where they say you need to do X, Y and Z and you need to pay us this amount of money because it's what's good for everybody else. And, and we don't believe that you can make the best decisions for you. And we don't think you can make the best decisions for your family. So we're going to control every aspect of your life. That sounds like a strict parent. That doesn't sound like a nurturant parent. That doesn't sound like a nurturant parent who wants to nurture its children to be better and to experience their life to their fullness. It sounds like a strict parent who wants to really control every aspect of your life. And when you start to see how you can turn it on its head and go, this government, the way it is with Newsom and Noodles at the head, it's a strict parent. It's not a nurturant parent. It's a strict parent. And when you start to do that, you can turn off a lot of progressives subconsciously in their mind where they go, well, I don't want to be a part of a strict parent. I don't like the strict parent mentality. I, I like the nurturant parent mentality where I can do what I want and, and I, I get to be able to live my life to the fullest. So... That's that's one uh, that's just one point. So 
Uh, I'm going to skip over the rest of this marriage stuff. I want to get into some of what he thinks that uh, conservatives believe, which you read this stuff and you're like, I can't believe this guy actually thinks this. Um, Maybe he's talking about neocons because a lot of the Republicans I meet don't believe in any of this. Um, I'm going to take a sip of coffee real quick. Uh, and this is the chapter, What Conservatives Want. Um, first, he talks about different issues. He talks about, well, first off, he talks about neocons believe in the unbridled use of power, including state power to extend the reign of strict father values and ideas. I would agree with that. Yeah, that's why I don't like neocons is because they advocate for bigger government to shove their values on everybody. Um, he talks about God and what conservatives believe when it comes to God. Now, tell me if this is what you agree with. I'm assuming many of you are conservative and that's why you're tuning into this. Uh, tell me what you believe of this in the comments. He says, many conservatives start with a view of God that makes conservative ideology seem both natural and good. God is the ultimate strict father, all good and all powerful at the top of the natural hierarchy in which morality is linked with power. God wants good people to be in charge. Virtue is to be rewarded with power. God, therefore, wants a hierarchical society in which there are moral authorities who should be obeyed in each domain, individual power, global power, financial power, social power. God makes laws, commandments, defining right and wrong. One must have discipline to follow God's commandment. Right? Now, let's take this out of here. And if he's just talking about a, I would say if he's talking about God, I don't really think he really knows anything about if he, if he's kind of aiming this at Christianity, I don't think he's really read a lot of scripture because that's not really what the new Testament really talks about, but that's a whole different, like, um, that's a whole different episode. We, I, you know, if we wanted to have a whole religion episode, um, but this sentence right here, God therefore wants a hierarchical society in which there are moral authorities who should be obeyed in each domain, individual power, global power, financial power, and social power. Replace God the, with the state. Take God out of it and put the state because we've talked about how a lot of people worship at the altar of the state, the status who believe that the government is all powerful. And say, the state therefore wants a hierarchical society in which there are moral authorities who should be obeyed in each domain. Right? Now does it sound a little bit more familiar with what Democrats are putting forward right now? They believe the state is all-powerful, all-knowing, and that there should be these moral authorities above everybody and those people should be obeyed at all costs. Do we see that today? Hmm. Do we see that today with what's going on with my Sharona Cyrus and everything like that? Do we see that today? And someone nailed it on the head, just like the new religion of science, where we put a lot of these moral authorities who can never be questioned, who can never be pushed back on, who can never be rebutted. They are the ultimate moral authorities that you must listen to. And again, we flip it on its head and we put in the state. And now all of a sudden you have 
a strict parent model for what Democrats are advocating for. Are you starting to see how they've created or backed themselves into a corner with this nurturant parent, but now they've become the strict parent? But are you seeing how you can take the language and not be disingenuous, right? Not be disingenuous where you're lying or you're spinning or you're doing propaganda to make it seem like you're doing something. Now you're starting to see, wait a second, that doesn't sound like what I believe. That sounds like something that you believe. And if you can frame your argument where you say, no, no, I believe that the state has become so powerful in our minds that they are the moral authority on everything and that they must be obeyed. And that sounds like a strict parent mentality where you can't, I mean, imagine a strict parent. Where a parent says, you can't question me, you have a curfew, you have to do all this stuff. That's a strict parent mentality. That's not a nurturing parent mentality where they let you be and they let you do what you want to do. That's a strict parent mentality. And when you start to figure out that, wait a second, I can present my arguments in a different way that will reach these voters who would never have listened to me before or looked at a candidate like a Republican ever before. All of a sudden, these independents and maybe these modern Democrats are going, I kind of like this guy. Wait, he's he's activating something in my mind. I'm going to I'm going to vote with my values because I believe this candidate represents my values better. Um, see where the fun. I, I mean, I nerd out about this stuff. I don't know if everybody nerds out about this stuff, but I'm sure there are people who are nerding out about all this stuff. Um, he talks about the moral order. Um Talks about God above man, man above nature, Western culture, Western culture above non-Western culture. The moral order is all too often extended to men above women, whites above non-whites, Christians above non-Christians, straights above gays. Again, again. Let me say that again. Let me read this sentence again. And if anybody wants to jump in the comments and tell me who does this sound like? The moral order is all too often extended to men above women, whites above non-whites, Christians above non-Christians, straights above gays, right? Flip it on its head. Flip it on its head. The moral order is all too often extended to women above men, white or non-whites above whites, non-Christians above Christians, and gays above straights. Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like right now with the moral order who's pushing this stuff? It sounds like the modern left. It sounds like the modern left where they're criticizing this book and written in 2014, where he's criticizing conservatives for creating all these classification um, and all these orders and all these priorities and stuff like that. Think about it this way. Flip it on its head. Women above men. Now I'm flipping what he's saying. Non-whites above whites. Non-Christians above Christians. Straits above gays. Or gays above straights. Right? We've entered into a world now where you're seeing it too much where there's division along race. And gender identity and sexual preference and all that. When most conservatives, especially in California, I would argue especially in California, are open to the idea that we're just all equal. We're just all people. We're just all people. 
and we're here, we're living in California, we're doing our thing. Um, and there shouldn't be people above or below each other that this is all really about all of us living in an equal society. But the left has created this moral order where they've created inequality, where they've put different preferences above each other. Um, and if there are sort of, if there is an inequality in our society, it needs to be addressed. But if there isn't, there is no need to impose equality or impose this, this sense of equality or inequality for the sake of equality. And again, if you flip the argument on its head, where you say, I believe in equality of all Californians, you know, if you're in a debate and someone says, well, you would, you say, no, 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 I, I believe, I believe in equality of all Californians, bottom line, period, the end. And if somebody says, well, you don't obviously, no, no, no. If there's an inequality in the, the this group of, you know, these people are not being treated correctly or something like that, it must be addressed. But other than that, my I go back to my statement. I believe in equality of everybody, that everybody should have the same opportunities, that everyone should have the same access to those opportunities, right? That's what most conservatives I talk to believe in. They believe in the equality of opportunity, not the equality of outcomes. That's a whole different thing. But equality of opportunity to live a prosperous life here in California. Someone said injustice to one of us is an injustice to all of us. Correct. But they've created this moral order and they're accusing conservatives of saying, oh, you believe in this and this is your moral order. You can flip it on and say, no, no, you believe in a moral order where you're pitting people who don't necessarily want to be against each other against each other. I believe in equality of all people. I look past all this stuff because I see everybody in California as the same, as, as, as equal, as equal citizens, as my brother, as my sister, as, as my fellow Californian, right? And we're all in this, you know, I hate to use that term. We're all in this together, but that's really what it comes down to is that we're all here in California thriving and, and trying to be a better and, and create a better life. That's the equality I believe in, Right. And that's how you flip it on its head. And then anybody who says, well, yeah, I believe in equality of rights too. I kind of like that person. I like that guy or gal. And I believe that I'm going to vote for them because they have my values. Because they believe in equality of rights. They believe that we should all have the same opportunities to be prosperous, to raise a family, to live in a safe neighborhood and stuff like that. That's how you start to flip things on its head. So... There's a couple more things I want to get into. Um, he talks about economics. Um, he kind of brings up the poor, therefore, deserve to be poor and serve the wealthy. I don't know where he gets that idea from. Um, that's sort of a boogeyman of conservatives. Um, excuse me. Um, skip over a lot of this stuff. Do, 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 do. He, then he talks about policy versus values, right? And this is why it's important to have values before the policies, because if you portray the, the values before the policies, a lot of people aren't policy wonks, you know, a lot of people aren't going to sit there and go, oh, let me dive into this policy. Let me dive into this pod because that's what I want to do on a you know weekday night after a long day of work. I want to dive into this policy, but it's easy to activate values. It's easy to activate those values 
that are going to get people to want to vote for you or support you. He says, but policy details are not what most Americans want to know about. Most Americans want to know what you stand for, whether your values are their values, what your principles are, what direction you want to take the country in. In public discourse, values trump policies, principles trump policies, policy directions trump specific programs. Yeah, somebody said, can you say Can you see that? Don't think of an elephant by George Lakoff. This is the updated version. So there's a, um, the all new, don't think of an elephant. There's one that was written in 2004. This one's written in 2014. So it's a little more update, up to date. But but do you get where we as conservatives like to get really kind of involved in the, the nitty gritty, which is fine. I think that's fair. There's a lot of people who want to dive into it and say, well, this policy won't work because of X, Y, and Z. A lot of people don't care. That's the sad thing. A lot of people don't really care. They do care about values. You know, and it's kind of like what's going on now with this whole universal health care thing. You ever notice whenever you critique someone on social media, like on Twitter or something, and you, you don't want universal health care, what's the first line they always go with? What's the first line they always go to? Oh, well, yeah, screw people who get sick and, and have to go to the hospital. I guess they shouldn't have access to health care. Screw them, right? That's a value-based statement that has nothing to do with the policy itself, right? And you're kind of arguing at each other in different languages because at one, you're going, well, it's too expensive. We can't afford it. It's going to raise taxes. It's, you know, it's not going to be efficient, X, Y, and Z. That's policy. And that's really programs or policy discussions. They're approaching it at a value, say, a value way and saying, look, do you not care about your fellow Californian? Do you not care about if that person gets sick or goes to the hospital? That's really what they're asking. Do you not care about that? Of course people care. Like if you feel bad for anybody who gets sick and has to go to the hospital. But that's not the point. You can then say, I believe that there's better access. We can have better access to healthcare and we could be more efficient if we allow, you know, a broader availability. We got rid of regulations and we allowed the free market to dictate. You know, there's a company that I see all the time on Instagram. I don't know if anyone's ever seen it. I see it all the time. There's actually one at the UTC mall here in San Diego. It's called Forward. And it's a different type of healthcare. It's a different type of doctor's office. And it's a private business. And they've thought of a way to make it better because they're a private business. Shouldn't we be encouraging that? Shouldn't we be encouraging entrepreneurs in the healthcare industry to come up with better ways to provide service and faster and more efficient and on your schedule? And when that happens, they can reduce costs and make it accessible and affordable for everybody. Yeah, that's what I believe in. I believe we should make the healthcare industry more efficient so that it's broader. You know, like when the iPhone first came out, it was very prohibitive. Not many people could afford the iPhone. Now everybody has an iPhone. You know, everybody in the world feels like, at least everybody in America feels like they have an iPhone. But that's what happens with the free market is you come up with an innovation. That innovation gets better and better and better. More people have access to it. Before you know it, it's, it's available everywhere. So when you start to frame it as, I believe there's a better way to give every Californian access to quality health care, then all of a sudden you framed it in, I believe everybody should have access to quality health care. But I believe in a different solution. I believe in a different policy. 
than you do. You want the state to take care of it because it's out of, out of sight, out of mind. You don't care. Just give the, the state all the money. I don't believe that. Um, I don't believe that the, the, the current way it's going will actually do that. And then you start to see if you, if you create these values and you start to create these value statements, you can create solutions on top of that. And then once you create those solutions on top of that, then you can start to really connect with voters. Whew. All right. I'm going to finish up here because I know there's a lot of people probably have some comments or questions or stuff like that. So I want to really kind of finish this up. Uh, there's one last thing. Do, 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 do. And he said, ah, here we go. This is the final thing I'm going to end on. Because a lot of people, I think, have this in their mind that we need to flip California red overnight, just like overnight. Like all of a sudden, one election, we're going to wake up and California went red. We're as conservatives, Texas, everybody's, you know, constitutional carry. We all got a sidearm on our, our hip. We're all driving big ass trucks and stuff like that with, with no smog or anything like that. Um, that's not the case. And I've advocated for this before is that, I would be happy, and I know a lot of people on this who, who follow us would be absolutely happy if in five years, five to ten years, would you be happy with not a deep blue California? Would you be happy with a purple California? You know, a California can go either way. And a lot of people I know, I, t I ask, I say, if in five years, five to seven years, all of a sudden California is purple. It's not deep blue anymore. It's a competitive purple state. Would you be, would you sign up for that? Would you be like, yeah, hell yeah, let's do that. A lot of people would say yes. Um, so he talks about it here and I'm sure uh, plenty of examples will come to mind. He talks about these strategic initiatives. The first is what I call a slippery slope initiative. So he openly admits that there's always a slippery slope when it comes to a lot of leftist policies. The idea of a slippery slope initiative is to take a first step that seems fairly straightforward, but gets into the public eye an additional frame you want to be there. The idea is that once the first step is taken, then it is easier and often inevitable to take the next step and the next step and the next step. I'm going to end it right there on that. That's the last thing from that book. But it goes for the left, but it could also go the other way. Like if all of a sudden you kind of throw that little nugget out there, if you put that, that one frame out there where you say, hey, maybe this is a better way to do things. Maybe adding a little bit more free market is better than letting the state handle it. Hey, maybe we shouldn't go all statist on this. Maybe we should be lowering taxes and allowing people to live their lives better here in California. Right now, now that people are woken up to, hey, the free market did a better job here because we're innovative, because we're California, because we've got Silicon Valley, because we're, the, we're at the edge of, of all innovation. Let's see what else free market can do. Now, all of a sudden, it's let's keep bringing more free market in. Let's bring all the tech companies back to California. And then all of a sudden, you start to see those changes of people. Before you know it, five to 10 years, those frames are in people's minds. And now they're going down that route. 
And that's why I say it's got to start somewhere. A lot of people will say, you know, oh, failure. The Calipublican platform just sounds like you're a Democrat light. No, I don't think so. I think it's a vision for California in the 21st century that has to be implemented to get people to wake up a little bit, right? To get people to go, I could, I could, I could be on board with that. And then once they're on board a little bit, before they know it, the next election and the next election, and then maybe they talk to somebody else. And then those two people and three, four, five, 10, 20, 50, 60, 100, 100,000. Before you know it, it starts to spread because the frame is out there and people are talking about it. But you can't do that until you have a platform that works. Until you have a platform where people are going to listen to you and agree with your values and your solutions. And that's what it comes down to. Um, and I think there's a lot of possibility in California. A lot of people think it's dead. Everyone, a lot of people I talk to are like, well, California is dead. Forget it. I don't think so. I think it's at the point where it's getting so bad. A lot of people are waking up and a lot of people are looking for an alternative. And that is the prime time to offer a great alternative. You know, if there was no COVID and this was normal times, excuse me, my nose keeps running for some reason. I don't have COVID. I don't have Omicron. Um, but if this was not COVID and this was normal times, I don't know if a new platform would have worked, but I think now, I think now that people are kind of seeing how their government failed them, I think you're starting to see people wake up and go, I think you're starting to see people wake up. How do I get involved? Is there a better alternative? And you win seat by seat. And it starts with elections like June Cutters and the assembly. You know, it starts with those seats. It gets rid of the supermajority. All of a sudden, maybe in a couple of years, the next couple of election cycles, now it's a 50-50 assembly and Senate. Now all of a sudden you're not getting crazy bill crazy blue bills. You get these more moderate bills. And then when there's a fear that Republicans could take over or libertarians or whoever is really kind of pushing a different narrative, they take over or there's that fear that they can take over. All of a sudden, the left goes, maybe we should moderate our position a little bit, right? Because we don't really have that much power anymore. The only reason they go full force now is because they have power. But if there's a legitimate force that kind of can oppose them, that will be a check on them themselves. There's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack and, you know, there's a lot to get to. And it, it's, it's like, like I said, this is pretty wonky stuff. Um, but if you enjoy it, I mean, this is stuff that I love to talk about um, because I think it's important. And this is stuff that I really kind of want to help push um, with the Cal Republican platform. Again, if you're around and you can make it down to uh, San Diego on that day. It's the 25th at 6.30. Um, love to see you there. You know, go follow Kyle Publican as well. Excuse me. Anyway, so to finish up, if anybody has any questions um, or comments about all of that, let me know. Uh, we got about eight minutes left um, until we are done. We got a lot of stuff to get to today. Yeah, my nose is running like crazy today. I don't know why. Excuse me. Oh. But 
I'll finish up with comments or questions. Do you think this is the way to go? Do you think this is the way to move forward? Do you think this is stuff that makes sense? Um, uh, can you please, can you, yeah, let's see. I'll do it right now. Let's see. Do, 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 do. Talk amongst yourselves while I do this. Um, here, this is what I'll do. I'm going to just post it right here. Cal, uh, pub, uh, it's hard to do it like this. Publican. Oh, no, no, I don't want that. Pub. Calipublican. Why am I having trouble? There you go. So. Anyway. Received my mug the other day. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. Um, yeah. It's my pretty much my daily mug now. Um, I'm going to be working on some different colors for the mugs as well and some other stuff. I think we need to focus on any potential purple districts in the state, not focus on blue districts. Can we flip this state back to Reagan days, one congressional race at a time? Thoughts? I don't. Here's my thing about congressional races, right? Um, I, as much as I, you know, I have support for some people who are running, like Tamika Hamilton. We have that event. She's running for Congress. Um, I wish her all the best. I and we've. When she came on the program and I had this whole thing, we talked about like her effect of being in Congress and how it affects local policy. She can try and influence it as much as possible, but she even admitted she doesn't really have as much say over local politics. The reason I support Tamika as much as I do over any congressional other congressional race is because of the blueprint she's laying out. It's because of the way she's winning in that district, or I think she's going to win in that district is this same mentality of like, get out to people and talk about these things. Talk about whether or not like these values, these kitchen table politics, stuff like that, connect with voters. And she's seen a better return and better support because she's talking to people, because she's talking about values. Um, that's why I think she, you know, that's one reason I support her so much is because if she wins, which I think she can, and I think she will, um, She'll have that blueprint where she can come back and say, look, this is how I connected with voters in my district and flipped a district. And I think that's really important is because you want to see that model that you can then replicate across the state. But in terms of congressional stuff, um, I don't worry so much about congressional because at the end of the day, congressional has nothing to do with Prop 47, has nothing to do with smash and grabs, has nothing to do with um Rising crime has nothing to do with homelessness, has nothing to do with housing, has nothing to do with all these issues that are really California specific. So all these crazy bills that we see that we kind of people roll their eyes at and they make fun of California for and like everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, California is so wacky and crazy. That comes from our state legislature it has nothing to do with Congress and the federal government. I, I, I think you have to focus on the state to fix the state. You know, Congress, you can win. And I know the California GOP likes to push um, these congressional races, one, because they usually get a lot of eyeballs. It raises a lot of money for them. And that's where it goes. it's not as sexy to be like, hey, we need to do this in the assembly. And people are kind of just roll their eyes. But if you say Congress, people are like, oh, yeah, Congress, I think we should absolutely take Congress back. So I understand there's a money aspect to it is not as much focus, but. 
Me personally, I want to focus mostly on the state and the legislature. Um, and that's where I think like it, it, it really makes the difference is state and the state Senate and the state assembly. You really have to kind of chip away at that supermajority. I said this before, if you get rid of the supermajority, you change a lot of things already. There's not so much ramming through all this legislation that's crazy. Now you don't really have a veto-proof sort of legislation. So there's a lot of, it, again, it's that progress to purple of you get from one point to another point where it's better, and then you get to another point where it's better. Um, for the people saying the elections aren't fair, do Republicans put boots to the ground? Do they go talk to people in the inner cities? Could it be that Dems do those things and they also push culture? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's an excellent point. And I think there's a lot of, like, I think I want to, I've been trying to get in hold, a hold of Scott Pressler and talk to him a little bit about this idea of like, how do you, why do we have 25% independents and 25% Republicans? The 25% independence means they're not happy with either race or either party. So there's a lot of opportunity. There's a huge amount of electorate sitting out there that's not doing anything. So why are we not working to actively go after those independents? For the same reason, I don't think they're being competitive in places. I think there's a lot of places that are being written off. Anything And if, if there's anything we learned about places like Virginia and the gubernatorial race is that the Republican Party there was competitive everywhere. They were competitive in every single place. And even if you don't win an area, chipping away at leads makes a difference. So like, for example, I think it was, um, I can't remember, it starts with an L. Was it Ludwig County or something like that in Virginia? Very blue, right? Now, a Democrat would have to count on racking up their votes in these blue counties or these blue districts. If you chip away at that lead in those deep blue districts, it makes a difference overall. So like if you chip away at L.A. City, San Diego, San Diego is already kind of purple. So if you kind of can flip San Diego the other way, they can't rack up as many votes as possible. You know, they can't just go to L.A. and get a million votes off the top or San Francisco or stuff like that. Now, San Francisco is a whole different beast. You know, that that may be pretty unique how to change that, but that's a whole nother day. Um, but if you start to chip away in a lot of deep blue areas, you may not win them right away. Right. You may not win them. But if you chip away at them, you take away a lot of their cushion and it gets a little dicier. And Virginia was a perfect example of where they chipped away at these blue counties and they were competitive for the first time. in I don't know how many decades there for the first time in a long time. A lot of these counties and districts were very competitive. And that makes a difference. That makes an absolute difference overall statewide. So when you're talking about like gubernatorial races or you know, senator races or attorney general races or secretary of state races and stuff like that, that makes a difference if you start to be competitive in those districts. And I think a lot of times that we just kind of write them off and say, well, LA, San Francisco, you can't write off LA and San Francisco because they decide the election, right? They decide the election. And if you chip away at their lead, then it gets a little dicier for them. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think they're 
there needs to be more boots on the ground. And I think there needs to be much better um, communication with people in the inner cities, different uh, groups, different, uh, whether it's Latino or Asian American. Um, I think there's a lot of values out there that resonate with different communities. They're just not really getting out there. Um, and there's, there's, you know, there's, I've said this before. Um, I, I have no idea why Fox news does not have a Spanish speaking channel all the time. I think it would be an opportunity for them to have just a Spanish speaking conservative news network. That is a counterbalance to like Telemundo and Univision. Um, but we have like El American, which is great. And they're, they're up and coming. So hopefully maybe one day they get a channel and they can start to talk about it. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. And I think there's a lot of opportunity that Republicans are just kind of sitting on the sidelines and not really taking advantage of. And I think, but again, I think that if you don't have the platform and you don't have your values, correct, it doesn't really, I think I was saying this to a, a colleague of mine. If you're trying to sell a crap sandwich, it doesn't matter what you do differently, whether you build a nice big store, whether you get a better location to try and sell your crap sandwich. It's still a crap sandwich. Like at the end of the day, it's still a crap sandwich. You got to make a better product. And that's the, that's really what it comes down to is you got to make a better product. Um, a lot of people say the mail-in voting is a big problem in California. I, you know, is it a setback? Sure. But at the same time, is that just because a lot of Republicans aren't registering people? You aren't you aren't beating people at the polls. You aren't beating people at the numbers, um, because you can't you can't have these wild out of out of control sort of like results that don't make any sense statistically. Um, you can fudge here and there, but when it comes down to it, you can't be like, oh, I mean, this isn't like uh, you know, this isn't China yet where like Xi Jinping wins the presidential race with a hundred percent of the vote. Like we're not there. Um, but that's, that's where I, I think you have to kind of play the game. You have to get a little bit better at it. And one argument, this might be an argument, um, that is a good way to put it is, okay, well you have mail-in voting. Now everyone gets a ballot. Let's get rid of ballot harvesting. That's now illegal. And if people say, well, no, we don't want to get rid of ballot harvesting. Well, why? Because ballot harvesting was supposed to increase access to voters, right? You've you've done it. Congratulations, you've done it. It's mail-in voting. Everybody's got it. Um, you should get rid of ballot harvesting, but that's a that's a different stuff. Um, all right, let's see what some other comments are. Do 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 do, do. Republicans going to need to use social media more? Like, I think I think Republicans are getting better, or at least conservatives are getting much better at the social media thing. Um, the meme game is, I think, a little bit better on the right than the left. Because um, the left, memes have to be based in truth. And I think a lot of times the left tries to push stuff that's not true, so it's not funny. Um, but memes are always kind of like those tongue-in-cheeks like, well, we know, we all know, we all know it's true. But that's why I think... Um, yeah, and that's one reason they get silenced on it because I, I don't remember if anybody remembers way back in like 2015, 2016, 
if you were Reddit people and you went on r slash the Donald, um, if you don't really know what I'm talking about, Reddit, they have all those subreddits and stuff like that. So in 2015, they started one called the Donald, which was obviously a whole subreddit dedicated to the campaign of Donald Trump for president. Um, it got so popular, right? Because the memes and, and what was going on and people were so excited about Donald Trump running and so many people were going to this subreddit that it was actually flooding the front page of Reddit. Like every other post was something from the Donald because it was so popular that they were like, and that's how Reddit works is like the most popular posts on Reddit are always on the front page of Reddit. So it was like every other post you'd go be like the Donald, the Donald, the Donald, the Donald. And they actually had to switch the algorithm on purpose so that the Donald didn't appear on the front page of Reddit. So that's an example of like social media where they have to try and silence a lot of people on social media because if they didn't, there probably would be a big takeover of a lot of conservative voices on social media. Um, I know a lot of people on the left are like, they never, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not true that they censor. Uh, Okay. Uh, Name more than five people on the left who've been censored by social media. Go ahead. I'll wait. Just, you know, anybody who's, who said any sort of outlandish claim, whether it's, you know, if it's a complete falsity, um, just name me, name me five, because I could probably name five right off the top of my head of people who've been kicked off social media. Um, yeah, zero. I can't think of anybody from the left who's been banned off social media, even if they said the most outlandish, incorrect things, which would be labeled as misinformation. So my Amazon is trying to give me Fluorona tips. Oh, not Fluorona. It's back. It's like, uh, it's like a horror trilogy that, or a horror movie series that just never ends. It's like scream or Halloween. Now we have Fluorona. Corona was bad enough. And now it's back with the flu in Fluorona. All right, any last comments or questions? Um, tomorrow night, we'll be talking more about this stuff uh, with June Cutter, <coughs> good good friend of mine who's running for the Assembly Assembly District 76 down here in San Diego. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about this stuff, her race coming up, how the redistricting has, has, has helped. Uh, what do you think about all the alternative economy of new conservative platforms such as Rumble? I think it's great. Again, that's the free market, right? The free market will dictate who presents a better product. The cream always rises to the top when it comes to free market because people will vote with their dollars. They'll vote with their participation. Um, So if Rumble is better than YouTube over the long run, then that's how it should be. Rumble's better or Getter or whatever all these other things are. Um, you know, best example is we all thought MySpace was going to rule the world and Facebook came in as an upstart company and completely wiped MySpace off the map. So, uh, I am on rumble. I I should get better at posting there. I used to cross post all my YouTube stuff. Um, especially, uh, because I was, I got a hard strike on, on a, on a COVID episode. Uh, they, I woke up to a hard strike on my channel. So I started to send more stuff over to rumble, but I haven't done so in a while. I need to get a lot better at, at kind of 
making sure I, I kind of do the same thing. Um, but I'm on Rumble and I'm on Getter. Yeah, I'm on Getter. Is you can search California Underground. I'm on Getter. Um, I don't post as much there as I do on Twitter. Twitter is where I, I do a lot of it um, because I think you should be engaging. Oh, my big problem with a lot of these alternative places it does kind of turn into um, a echo chamber where like I'm just kind of being short of my own views or like i like to go on twitter because i like to see what other people are saying about stuff you know it's kind of a good way to peek into the the, the mind um do, 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 do. someone said they they kicked nick fuentes off i, I could have a whole episode on nick fuentes i i'm i'll tell you right now i'm not a fan of nick fuentes i think he's a a racist carnival barker who Nobody should be paying attention to Nick Fuentes. The fact that I'm saying his name now kind of disgusts me. Um, that's my personal feeling about Nick Fuentes. He is, he's a punk, he's a racist carnival barker. So that's just my my feelings about him. His whole shtick is I'm going to be all about race and people are going to keep giving me a platform because I'm controversial. And then when I show up at a, you know, a GOP event and I get kicked out, I'm going to make a big stink about it. And people are going to be like, oh, you know, why did they kick out Nick Fuentes? Probably because he's a racist and he doesn't align with our views. So he should get out. Um, remember when Justin Timberlake and Timberlake bought Main Space to turn in some, yeah, it's a music site now. Um, no, I wasn't saying you were. I, I, I'm just saying like, um, if they kick Nick Fuentes off, good. I, I, I don't really care. He probably said something stupid and racist. Anyway, I don't want to end on that note. So tomorrow night, podcast with uh, June Cutter, like I keep saying. It'll be a good conversation. As, as always, if you tuned in late or you want to listen to this whole thing, there's always an audio podcast of all coffee and California politics that get uploaded after this airs. Um as well as the podcast that's on Thursday night, which is live on YouTube. So if you want to kind of interact and have questions for June or something like that, I'll also put a questionnaire up tomorrow. So if you have any questions, you can't make it, but you want to ask her some questions, I'll I'll put that up as well. And there's always an audio podcast of that as well. And you can listen to that on uh, Apple, Spotify. I was trying to say Apple and Spotify at the same time. Apple, Spotify, um, Google, all those different places. Nick Fuentes said women are only useful for procreation, basically cleaning and cooking. Um, you are here, had him on. Yeah, that's awful. Anyway, um, and then obviously we got the Tamika Hamilton event coming up, which I'll be co-hosting with the San Diego Young Republicans. And then on the 25th, I'll repost that event for everybody who had questions about it. The Cal Republican event, the first ever Cal Republican event will be happening on the 25th of January at 6.30 downtown in San Diego. Um, we're going to talk more about stuff like this and messaging and uh, how do we change things for the better? How do we kind of turn the ship? Because remember, it's like an aircraft carrier. We got to, takes a while to turn an aircraft carrier around, but we got to start. We got to start. It's like heading this direction. We want to do like this. We want to slowly start turning it back around. Remember, progress to purple, all that stuff. We want to get to a more competitive California, freer California for everybody, for equality, for all that stuff. Uh, better prosperity. Everyone can live out their life here in California, all that stuff. Um, and that's it for now. So thanks again for everybody for indulging me on my, my wonky stuff. 
and uh, I will see you on the next one. Later. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 